If you would uh, grab your Bibles this morning, we'll be in um, Acts chapter 5, verses uh, 11 through 21. Um, it's, it's going to be a decent uh, chunk of the story here um, to move it forward because I think it's, a, it's important to provide the full context. And so we are talking about evangelism today, and uh, it's sort of been the, um, it's happening constantly, and part of uh, the, the frustration of why we don't often connect this the right way to what's going on is because we sort of divorce evangelism as though it's a different thing. It's something we add on, you know, yeah, you, you get saved and you become part of the church and then there's evangelism and that's another thing we should do as though it was somehow disconnected from, from the first thing, which it's not. And so um, that's, that's been happening, uh, whether you have noticed it or not, all throughout the book of Acts without um, them ever getting together and saying, hey guys, we really need to come up with this plan to get people to start coming in here because we're really not getting this message out. And uh, so, so, so problem one, I think, for us in understanding this is just uh, we, are, we live and breathe in a culture um, that has disconnected evangelism from, um, from just being part of the church, from what it is to be a Christian and how that um, has become a problem is evident in the way that we see evangelism done uh, a lot of times in a lot of different churches. And so um, through the narrative this morning, I, I want you to notice where is it happening? Where is it happening in the story? How is it happening in the story? Who's doing it? And uh, when, you, when you plug those things in, then I want you to compare that to, well, if, if that's what it says in Scripture, uh, then is that what I see in my own life? Is that what I see in this church? And if not, then um, the problem of those dots not being connected is, is one that you actually need to resolve um, yourself, not, not something I resolve as the pastor. And that's also sort of an issue is we sort of... Um, pass off this idea as though evangelism and, and outreach is what the professionals do. That's what the pastor's there for, and that's his job, and he needs to make sure that people come into the church and that they like it, and et cetera, et cetera. Now, if I'm horribly offensive and can't preach my way out of a wet paper bag, that's on me, but besides that fact, you should still be doing evangelism in your own life, and so um, real quick, I, I want to define evangelism because I think that's important. Um, this is Straight out of the dictionary, which we know is up for grabs these days, but nonetheless, the, the uh, definition that still exists here is evangelism is the zealous preaching and spreading of the gospel, okay? And uh, that's, that, that can be applied to anything, but particularly for us, evangelism means the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And um, evangelism has a goal in mind. The goal in mind of evangelism is to bring one to your side, to find agreement, to convert, to, 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 um, uh, to convince somebody, really. And so um, with that goal in mind, we often measure the effectiveness or whether or not we're doing it by the fruit of it. But that's, that's the wrong way to go about it. Uh, if you measure the effectiveness of, of evangelism by the, the fruit of it, um, you're faced with two major issues, okay? The first is that um, by that measurement, Jesus was not a good evangelist. By, by that measurement, Jesus was not a good evangelist. If, if it's just about attracting crowds and then converting them to believe in you, very few people 
So for a select few, follow Jesus through his evangelism. So that, that can't be the measurement is what I'm, I'm trying to posit for you. Don't, don't, don't walk out just yet, okay? So if, if, if it's about um, the desired response being evoked um, just, just purely uh, as the measurement of whether or not it's, it's good, uh, that's, you have Jesus, first of all. The second is that um, it, it's, it's possible to evoke responses from people aside from God or aside from the gospel. I uh, did that in the primer. I showed you guys with the gift card um, how it's possible to, to get people to want something um, or scare them away from something without ever introducing God into that conversation. And so the question um, we should ask is, how is it happening in the church and what does that mean for us? How, if it doesn't say, this is how you ought to do it, we ought to observe how it's being done and, and, and figure out from that how we can do it as well. And so, um, is evangelism even happening? Are we uh, growing organizations based on um, something uh, as, as a different motivation other than just the spread of the gospel? And so my premise this morning is that here's what happens in Acts. Acts reveals to us that the church being what it is supposed to be that is fulfilling its purpose, living the way that we're supposed to live, grows because of the necessity of what we are, not by what we do. Okay? It is by what we are, not necessarily by what we do. Evangelism and growth is an essential product of faithful lives, lived in faithfulness to God. Now, we tend to think of it as something extra that we can bolt on, and something extra that we can add on because we need to draw a crowd. And uh, I, I had this as a much larger part of the sermon and I decided it wasn't, it wasn't a good thing to highlight it. But I want to show you a couple of ways that we think of evangelism and culture at large. Now, if I didn't tell you that this was a church, would you know that this was a church service? It's, it's, it's very... It's, I mean, there's guys that are performing and there's lights and action and all that stuff. And, and whether or not you think that's good or bad, I, I just, I, I, what, what in this picture jumps out to you as the point? Who's being glorified? What is people's attention on? There's uh, one of the largest churches in America runs a series every year called At the Movies where they simply take films that have come out that year and they teach from those films instead of from the Word of God. And so they build these great monstrous sets. This happens to be one. This is the lobby of the church. And then they go and they transform the kids' area and people dress up and everyone's in costume. And here it is, the pastor coming out on stage. And it would be very easy for us to... Um, critique that and say, look out there how misled that is. See, the idea that if we did just grab, if we gather a crowd and we get them here and, and, and then once they're here, then, then they'll love Jesus. The problem is that you've gathered them under some other pretense. And then it's really hard to connect that with some other purpose. You've, you've done all you could to capture their attention and their attention's on exactly what, it wanted, what you wanted it to be on, which was something other than God, something other than the gospel, something other than their need. And so it becomes nearly impossible to, to evangelize from that statement, from that state, I should say. So before we look out there and we scorn them, are we doing any better? 
The truth is that we don't have any control over what other churches call evangelism, right? And it, it would be easy to say, well, that's, that's a problem, and um, it, it is a problem, but we have the same problem, we just have a different manifestation of it. It's the same problem, but a different symptom. It's, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what evangelism is. So before um, we look out there, and we criticize what's out there, we need to ask of ourselves, are we walking in the path of faithfulness, evangelizing when opportunities are presented to us? So I see a couple of issues with the mentality that we just need to draw a crowd and, and then um, everything else is up to God. And especially when it's done under that kind of approach, it turns the worship gathering of the redeemed people of God into a show to impress men. It makes the gospel a commodity to be peddled. It makes the, the, the church a brand to be marketed and to be grown. It makes people that are lost, they're consumers. They're just faceless demographics, not souls in need of the Lord. And it takes the typical faithfulness of the entire of the church and it pushes it away to an elite few in which we will entrust, you know, the, the, because it has to be at a certain level to really entertain people. It has to be at a certain level to really attract their attention. And if I don't meet those qualifications, uh, then how is it that I'm supposed to participate in being the church and evangelizing? The church is not made up of professionals doing things that you can't do. You are the church and you've been gifted and equipped to do exactly what it is that God has called you to do, which is to be his witness, which is to be faithful to him. And so, sure, if we rented carnival games, we could draw a big crowd, right? And if we put all of our money into maybe hiring some, uh, some big name artists and had them do our music, we could also put on a pretty decent show. But will people really be here for the right reasons? Is that what evangelism is? And I, I would submit to you that it's not. So the church has devised all kinds of different ways to try and get the results that we think that we're supposed to have, which is growth. So we get new people to come in and we say, just try Jesus. And we say, well, isn't that motivated out of the right things? Well, no, because of all of the things I just mentioned. Because it's, it's dysfunctional to say, well, people in the church aren't really fulfilling what it is they're supposed to do. We'll cover that up by, by really majoring in on this other area. And so if you had one part of your body that was incredibly diseased and dysfunctional, would, would it be good to just cover it up with a nice shirt? No, it wouldn't fix the problem. And that's sort of what we've done. So if the church is the body of Christ, which it is, then it can't be a good thing to eliminate some people from participation in the growth and the maturity of that. And so for us, the problem is that the, go the gospel no longer goes out. We're just content to try and bring people in. And that's, that is a, that's the summary of the whole problem. We don't, we're not concerned with taking the gospel out. We're content to bring people in. One is, one is outside, one is going forward, one has movement, one is the, the church invading the gates of hell, and the other is the church waiting to have the gates of hell invade it. So if you would protest and say, well, I, I think they're motivated right. Well, sometimes right motivation, 
right motivations with the wrong answers are, is the wrong thing. And, um, and so I can't, I don't have to answer for any other churches. I do have to answer for us and you have to answer for you. So let me pray this morning. We'll read the text together. I think you will see some um, important elements in what's there and hopefully challenged um, that we would approach this differently. So Father, I ask that um, this morning we would not be um, concerned with the wrong ways, but that we would be looking for the right ways. Father, um, we need um, not just your instruction, but we need your strength and we need um, your motivation to help us do what we must do. We want to please you in being your people. So God, I pray that you would help us to respond faithfully to your word and your um, speaking this morning. God, I pray that you would do that, that you would speak and it would not be um, a soapbox of my design, but it would be um, your own image that we would find lovely and glorious that we'd be transformed by seeing it this morning. So Father, help us to see it. Help us to hear what's true. And God, give us your spirit. Give us hearts of flesh that we might receive what you would say. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, read with me in Acts chapter 5, starting in uh, verse 11, so that we can get the whole context, and I'll read through 21 this morning. It says, Great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who had heard these things, and many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. Now, just pause there for a second, because I bet as soon as you read that, You've likely already forgotten that I said signs and wonders are not simply an end of themselves. They're an authenticating purpose of the ministry. So it's not signs and wonders like let's put on a fireworks show as though there was some other pretense. It's the signs and wonders being done through the hands of the apostles to authenticate their ministry. Lest you think I was way off base there. So they've agreed. They're all together in Solomon's portico. They're meeting there. It says though that none of the rest dare join them. Um, I highlighted that last week. We'll come back to it. But the people held them in high esteem. So you have a contrast here. There's people that aren't jumping on, jumping in with them. But then there's also a good rapport, if you will, with people. They held them in high esteem. There's respect for what it is that's happening. 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets. And they laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. And the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles, and they put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and he brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to preach. Okay. So just in this text, it's, it's happened again and again and again. It's, it's, it's the same phrase that more people are added to the church. More people are added to the Lord. More believers are added to the the. Um, original group of the 120. And so it seems 
to us that um, this is happening sort of without them really needing to try. And so is it like, well, God equipped them with an extra thing, an extra zing that we don't have. And, uh, and so they kind of have a one-up on us. And, and if we were able to do the signs and wonders in the same way, maybe we would see the same kinds of result. But I, I want you to, the reason why we started in verse 11 was to get the foundation correct. And it's not different than what I said last week. The foundation for evangelism is not about our ability to attract people to what it is that we do in worship. It's not winning popularity or opinion by what it is that we present. It is by what we are. The fear of the Lord produces what we are. And that is what has resulted in some who are not willing to join. That is to impose on, to, 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 um, to jump on with. As though, um, that's the best way to put that. Um, they would be imposing on a group they were uninvited to. So that's what that join up means. But then at the same time, they're held in high esteem. And more than ever, believers are added. So there's a, um, there's a, there's a separation taking place naturally. It's, it's not happening by them saying it or by preaching it or by presenting one thing and another thing. It's by what they are. They're holy. And they're fearing God and they're walking in that. That's what has happened out of the discipline of the church and the Ananias and Sapphira being removed as hypocrites. And so the fear of the Lord necessitates evangelism it necessitates that, um, that what we are is not just something inside of these walls or at the time when we meet, but is our, our lives, our whole lives submitted to God. And so I, I posited uh, like four things last week and um, I want to walk through them as we see them in the text because they, they still apply. And so first of all, holiness is a designation or declaration of an identity to be lived out. That's what it means to be called God's people. You are a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. You're my people. This is uh, what Peter repeats out of Exodus. When God calls us to himself, he calls us to be other than, to be separate from the world. This makes this our identity, which also gives us purpose. It's, it's, not, it's not just that we adopt an, an extra mission because we've signed on with the church. It's you adopt a life because that's what you are. Because you've been given a life and this is how you live that life out. Now, we've also observed though that not all growth is of God. This will become more and more apparent as the church continues to spread and grow. And people have their own motivations on which they do think that they can impose on God's people. But not all growth is of God. Only good growth is from God. And this is uh, to restrict us from simply trying whatever method we would fancy today to just try to add to the church. It's, it's God's hand that grows the church and it's by his method that he's, that he's specifically um, entrusted to us that that happens, which is go and be my witnesses. Go and teach them to obey. This is his, his, his two, uh, two kind of twofold ministry there. You're witnesses to who I am, to the gospel, and you are to teach and spread my word. Okay, and so that's, that's pretty much the summary of the Great Commission. And so um, being, uh, being that it's God's church, that it's God's people, it's him that supplies what is um, real and true growth. Now, importantly, when it comes to living that out in the community, the closer we get to God's holiness, the more we understand it, and, and the more uh, the fear of God increases. So getting closer to God increases 
not our belonging to him. You can't be more Christian. You, you've, once you've been called God's, you, you can't belong to him any more than you do at that moment. That doesn't mean that you can't grow in maturity and grow in closeness. Um, I'm, I, I've been married to Rebecca for 19 years and I'm not more a husband to her than I was in year one. But the longer we live together, the more we talk, the more we grow together, the more I know of her, the more intimate that we are. I'm not more of a husband to her. I'm not, I don't, positionally, relationship, I am not more to her. But nonetheless, I would say that I've grown with her in that relationship. It's the same thing with God. It's the, the, the longevity of the relationship in walking in close proximity with God. You recognize more and more who he is so that the fear of God increases in you. And that in turn, draws you nearer to himself. And then what's commanded actually becomes true in Deuteronomy. Those who would draw near to me must be holy. Why? Because to be close to him, you, 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 um, you shun sin, you kill sin, and you, um, you reflect his image more. So um, the closer we get to God, the more we um, press into him, the more holy we become, the more the fear of God increases. And then um, the more we represent who he is, which is this. When God's presence and the fear of God uh, is, is here, it makes the people holy, which goes back to number one. Your purpose is in imaging the holy God in which you belong to. That is your identity. And so you, you must be, be holy because I'm holy. That's what that command essentially is. This is who I am. You must be the same way because it's what I am and now it's what you are. And so living that out, it sort of creates this cycle of where we truly are a holy people, that means separated out from the world, which consequently results in this other beneficial thing. You get a twofer, right? You, you, are, uh, you become more holy, you grow in maturity, but it also means that those who would quote-unquote sneak into the community under false pretenses or hypocrisy or false teachers do so with condemnation. So, so why make such a big point about that? Because we think if we can get the world to like what we do or like who we are, then they'll come in and they'll feel comfortable and that's a good thing. It's not a good thing. Here's why. Because it literally erases the distinction that makes you the church. It says, we'll flatten the whole thing out. There is no separation now between the world and God's people. We're all the same. But we're not so different. We like what you like. Don't worry about it. Do you see that, that that is like a rejection of God's identity? He calls you mine. He says, I've called you out from among the world. Come out and be separate. And we go, no thanks. We'll erase the distinction, God. Then people will like us a lot more. And he says, but that's not the point. So, so that's, that's one main issue with the way that we tend to approach evangelism. Not to mention the problem that then we're also beholden to that standard. So we say, hey, we just want people to be comfortable. Like, we want the world to like us. We want them to agree with what we do. And so we'll sort of um, lower the bar. We won't, we won't live in holiness. We don't want people to feel like we're judgy, you know. And, and so we, we kind of erase that distinction thinking that we're helping, um, we're helping out God. And we're not. We're, we are rejecting God at that point. And I, I use that word intentionally. And it's not hyperbole. 
So all of this works together and it drives our mission. You don't just have a part in this. You don't just have some small role to play. You say, well, isn't that what you're trained for, Mitch? Isn't that your job? I, I am here to teach and shepherd and help. And yes, I am with you in the task of evangelism. But if you are one of God's people, then you too are called to this. The Lord will grow his church through those he redeems who are called believers. Turn your attention to the text real quick. It says, many signs and wonders are done among the people. Where is this happening? It's it's, it's unclear at that moment whether or not this is in the temple or not. But you're going to see that eventually it's not about the location. There's, there's false restrictions that we place on evangelism, but what's happening is there's all these things being done that are miraculous, and um, because the people are being what they're supposed to be, which is a holy people, no one dared join them. People held them behind scene, and it says more than ever believers are added. That word believers in verse 14 is, is important. It's faith havers. It's, it's the people that, that respond to the gospel in faith. And that's an important distinction. It's not just about collecting as much as we can. You know, all growth is not good growth. Some growth is a tumor. Uncontrolled growth is bad if it's not healthy growth, right? We want to grow in believers responding to the gospel. And that's um, the designation there in verse 14. It's not just that they grew in people and grew in popularity. It's that they grew with believers who were added to the Lord. Multitudes, men and women. It's telling us something about the common nature of it. So it had to be more than just in Solomon's portico. Now, um, mission uh, that we think about in terms of evangelism is an extension of our being gods. And so what I see here is, is a, an expression of that through a few different verses of what I just tried to articulate um, based on being God's people, being holy, that being uh, what we represent to the world, and that being the way that God adds true believers to the community. So this was uh, a verse that we used last week to emphasize the importance of the fear of the Lord, but look at the result of the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord, uh, I submit to you, is uh, the foundation for this, for evangelism. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it is God who works in you. He's working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So you are given um, the, the, the will to do so, the want to, the desire, and the energy and the means to work for God's purposes. And that um, comes uh, by way of it being God who works in us when, when we respond to him rightly in, um, in fear and trembling. And so... Um, Look at, uh, in, in verse 11, there it is. The foundation, great fear came upon all. And further back, I think it's in verse 5, where it says that great fear came upon the whole church. And then we see in verse 13 that no one else dared join them. That is, that they were a holy group. They're, that was understood. It wasn't just everybody in the pool. We want to just make everybody happy and feel comfortable. It was specifically, do you know that if you're a hypocrite and you join that group, those people died? That's a, that's a significant thing to discuss sometimes when you decide whether or not you're just going to join up with a group. But it says, but the people still held them in high esteem. More than ever, believers, the faith havers, were added to the Lord. And then here's the result. This is the will and the work in verse 15. 
so that they. Now, it's um, difficult sometimes because pronouns don't always have a direct referent. That's a little bit of English for you. But it says, well, who is the they in this passage? Okay? Who is the they in 15 so that they even carried out the sick into the streets? Well, it's those who are being added to the Lord. Okay? Those who are being added to the Lord, in verse 14, the faith havers, multitudes of both men and women, so that they, the church, even went out and carried the sick into the streets, and they laid them on cots and mats, so that as Peter came by, at least a shadow might fall on some of them. And so you have the reality that it wasn't, let's stay in the temple and see how many people we can gather in here, that they might hear the message of the gospel. That would be a good idea. It's good motivation. It's, it seems to be motivated in the right thing, but the gospel doesn't spread unless it's taken out. And that's exactly what they're doing. We, we can't wait for everybody to come in here. We're going to go into the streets and into the towns, and we're going to drag them out because they have needs. It's not just the people who would respond to the signs and the wonders. As though just to, you know, gaping mouth, observe what was happening. It's the people that are in need. And that's exactly what we are charged to do. Go find the people. Go find my lost sheep and, 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 and gather them. So they're the ones that are going out into the streets in the towns. And they're dragging them out. It says though, so that even at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them. Much has been made of this, um, specifically by the Catholic Church. They have a vested interest in Peter being the guy. Um, it says because they come out and they've got all these afflictions and it says they're healed. And so I, I just want you to notice real quick, I'll point it out just as by way of doctrine for you. It doesn't say that Peter's shadow falling on them healed them. It was, in my estimation, they, they brought them out of the places where they couldn't access the message. So that at least if Peter came by, that his shadow might fall on them. It could be more of a colloquial phrase there, but it doesn't say his shadow might fall on them to heal them. It's that the people were gathered from the towns, even around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So um, they carried out people into the streets. It's, it's the work of the church, not the work of Peter. Peter didn't go find everybody that needed help. So that even if you want to say, well, Mitch, aren't you a little better at this than I am? Or don't you know something I, I, I don't know? Maybe I, I have more, you know, knowledge, book knowledge. Uh, but you are equipped with everything you need to know for salvation and to share that good news with other people. And even if it's just, uh, what's the phrase? Um, one, one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. You, you can do that much. You can testify. You can be a witness to what it is that you've known and to what it is that you've experienced. And we see that none of this has been rooted in the signs and wonders. You know, it's interesting that uh, they get arrested as the high priest rose up. And it says, then the angel comes and the angel doesn't come um, midday when the crowds would have been in the temple at the, and everybody would have seen everything happening at the public prison. It's actually quite conspicuous that this happens at night. In my estimation, I think it was for the very express purpose that it wouldn't be such an attention grabber because then it would just be the sideshow. It would just be about the crazy thing that the angel did. So he comes at night to them. And what does he tell them to do? Go heal more people? Go do more signs and wonders? No, he says go into the, um, go into the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And they respond. They entered the temple at daybreak and began 
teaching. Again, why? So that more who are faith havers, more believers would come. So I want to point out just a couple elements here and then encourage us uh, in walking forward in this. The standards of being called holy sounds, um, it's foreign to our valedictorian because it's or as bad as you want, but no one cares. Holy, and we've erased any of So here's what I see us missing today. When I say the church, I mean sort of us in this room and most of what we think that's for the people that are trained for that and it pushes it from everyone onto a select few. All of the believers, notice, are going through the city, doing the work, finding people that need the help. The other part is that we place a false restriction on evangelism to a time and a place. A time and a place. It has to happen here. It has to happen in this service. And once that restriction has been made, it's impossible. There's no avenue left except for let's throw a party and hope people love it. You're left with nothing to attract people if that's what you go with. It has to be now and it has to be here that they come to know who God is. When the gathering of the believers for worship becomes the time and a place where evangelism has to happen, then this has to appeal to those that you're evangelizing. After all, how can they come to understand who God is if we don't bring it down to their level? And once that becomes the focus and the goal and the point, we've taken our eyes off of God as the focus of our worship and we put it on men. Go out and meet needs of people where they're at. It's taking place all throughout the city. It's not here, it's go and make disciples. Go out and take the gospel. Thus actually fulfilling the definition of evangelism, the spread of the gospel, not the bringing in and collecting of people. So simply said, not very simply, but somewhat wordy, but as much as simply as I can say it, God's design for evangelism is the whole church being the church in among the world. The whole church being the church in among the world. The church holding the place there of that longer definition of those who are called out from among the world, those who belong to God, those who are the holy people, whole lives for God. Every individual going out, living out, speaking out in regular, every day, everywhere, living as witnesses to God. So the success of our evangelism is not going to be me lighting a fire under you, but by you recognizing that is the identity you've already been given. So you're either choosing to ignore that or, or live uh, in rejection of that, but you can't, you mustn't. Let me give you some false assumptions that I want, to shy, that I want you to, to, turn, to turn away from. We think that if we can get people to come in and be in awe of the display that we can put on, the show that we can collectively put out for them, then they're gonna find a hard time turning their eyes from that display to Jesus. 
If we come in and we say we want them to be happy, we want them to be fulfilled, we want them to be impressed, then they're not going to feel any necessity to be happy and fulfilled and impressed with God. We want people to enjoy the church and be comfortable, but people don't seek for other sources of joy and comfort when, there are, when they already have them. We want people to like us and we want to entertain them. We want them to think that we're not as nerdy as they say we are. But this prevents them from seeking something that offers them an alternative from the way that they've been walking. An alternative from what it is that they've been living in. See, they're already entertained and accepted and loved and celebrated more than you can imagine. That doesn't mean people don't walk through life with needs or feeling unfulfilled. It just means it's not the church's job to also affirm them in that. We have to offer them something different than what it is that they get everywhere else. We want people to love God and accept the gospel, but if we only offer it as the token get out of free, or get out of hell free card, then they've not really come to understand who God is. If we want people to join the church without any distinctions in it, if, there's, if membership doesn't mean anything, and we say, well, that's, that's legalistic, and people won't come, or they won't, they won't like that, then we buck accountability, and we abuse the, the leadership and the, the shepherding that God has put in place, um, the people will just relegate belonging to attending. And that's pretty much where we're at. If I said, do you belong to a church? Do you, do you would say something like, yeah, I go to that church. I attend that service. That's not belonging. Belonging is belonging to God, being his own children, being his people. That's what belonging means. So it has to mean more than I drug myself out of bed to be entertained this morning. So do some more. All of that behavior does not produce believers. <laughs> it produces, it just affirms people in what they already know and what they already love and what they already like. And it will, um, it offers a, a false hope. A gospel that can't save. So my encouragement for us this morning is not to be caught up in either the failures of society at large or the ways that we see maybe other churches offending in this way in more than us or something. The question is, are you, are you just living your life faithfully no matter where it is that you're at, what it is that you're doing? as a witness to who God is? Or, is? or is who you are in God only something that happens in here? Have you, have you limited that? Is the false restriction of I, I belong to the church when I'm in the church, but whatever happens out there, that's what evangelism is. It happens when you're living for God out there and you're identifying the needs of people and not so um, worried about attracting their attention with some other false motivation. It's, it's not, a, um, it's not a, a rung too far. It's not, it's not a ladder that you have to climb. It's not, it's not too much for us. I say that because of the Philippians passage. Because it's God 
who's at work in you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And it's his good pleasure to add to his kingdom. And it's his will to do so through the gospel of Jesus. And so if, if we would hold fast to those truths, that's all that's required. And you would see the fruit of it. And I don't say that to like give some false challenge, but just to tell you that that's, that's the means that we've had. Those are the tools in our hands and we, we rarely use them. I want us to be a church that is concerned with those that aren't here right now. They're not just a demographic that we have to identify and figure out which right buttons to push so that they'll like being here. Their souls disconnected from the Lord God. And you are a beggar that found bread and you can tell them where to find bread, can you not? Father, I pray this morning that uh, we would see not just um, the necessity of evangelism, but also find um, the strength and the encouragement to go out 